You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You gotta be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweet to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game that's messing it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Settings Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. Shane, what's up, homie? Another day, another dollar. What's up, brother? Everything good? Whoa. You <laughs> blanked out for a second. You yeah, right? I don't know what I was thinking. I wanted to say something weird, but I couldn't think of nothing. So I just went with my normal, what's good, brother? You just have to be yourself. Something weird will come out, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? Is Tampa man. crazy yet with the Super Bowl? Jumping yeah. off? Yeah, man. It's a lot of people here, you know, despite COVID. You I see about to say COVID gone? No. Um, you see people out i mean people have on masks um but you see it you can definitely tell there are more people in the Mm -hmm. city um who don't care about covid and it's supposed to rain so hopefully it's not a rainy sloppy super bowl okay who you rooting for i gotta root for the home team is right here in tampa okay you know, as much as I want to see Mahomes, you know, I like I like Mahomes. I like Kansas City. I like what they're doing. But if you're from Florida, you t- Tampa's right here. I'm in the city. It's like blasphemy. You're right. Well, I don't know about that, but all right, you're right. Like um, me and my pops was talking about this the other day. Like, um, um, like if Auburn ain't ain't in the national championship and Alabama make it, I, I'm not rooting for Alabama. No sir. And he's that like, makes sense. Isn't that from your state though? I was like, no, that I'm not rooting for Alabama. I'm good. So, you know. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it makes sense. You know, I'm I'm curious. I don't know if our guest today is a football fan, but we're gonna find out uh who who she's rooting for. So yeah. let, let me introduce her so she can chime in and give her thoughts. So today we got a very special guest, uh, another doctor on the show, right? So now we got two doctors on the show, Dr. Carrington. Uh, her background, she attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She also conducted research at institutions such as Harvard and Yale universities. You better put some respect on her name. Uh, <laughs> after completing her OBGYN res- residency at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, she returned home to Central Florida to focus on women's health care in the community where she grew up in. Most recently, she just opened her own practice where she focuses on patient advocacy, specializing in women's health, and she's a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Please welcome Dr. Natia Carrington. Welcome to the show. Hey. What's going on to you? A little bit of everything. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine with the new practice, things are probably hectic they are they're actually now that we're open it feels like it's evening out a little bit but Mm. the process of getting open was crazy busy yeah launches are tough and you just launch you just get to the um the 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 normal day in and day out work of running yeah i mean it's still a little busy but it's it's leveling out when you're trying to get started there's stuff coming from every direction at you so that is awesome. 
Yeah. Now, now with all of that, we posed the question: are, are you have you been able to keep up with football and and know that the Super Bowl is even happening? I did know the Super Bowl was happening, but that might be the extent of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even know room. you don't even know who's playing. Tampa and Kansas City, I think. There you go. That works. That works. They both wear red. That's what I know. They both wear red. So I'm rooting for the team that wears red. <laughs> yeah, that's who I'm rooting for. Say, take us down what blew your mind. Um, literally just came to me. So again, I don't know if you know, I've been knowing Natia since sixth grade. Like mm-hmm. been that long. We went to middle school together. Yep. And um you know, here, the thing, um, what kind of blows my mind is we are what we repeatedly do. And 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 who you become is somehow always going to be embedded in who you are. And like, T, I'm so proud of you and, and just so happy for you because you have always just been um, hardworking, stand-up person. And as Vic was reading your credentials, my mind was blown, but I wasn't surprised because you, this this is who you have been, very studious. And like, I had no idea what any of your goals were. I, I knew nothing. I just knew you. We, you know, we did extracurricular activities, band, whatever. Hey there, hi there, whatever. But um, you just always knew that you would be successful. And it's just because that's always who you were. So um, happy for you and proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm proud of you guys, both Thank of you. you. It's like you see people, what they're doing on Facebook and social media. And I think you sit back and kind of admire what people are doing. Yeah. Yeah. I look back, you know, I remember Shane in sixth grade beating on the drums in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Directing a whole band. I mean, exactly. You are what you repeatedly do. (laughs) Who you become is essentially an an overflow of who you are. And I guess that's who I I was at that time. Like, I mean, I, that's amazing. Like what you do with the kids when I see that. Now, did you always want to be in this field that you're in? I did. So I tell the story a lot of times that um, when I was young, I wanted to be a teacher like you. Um, I actually did. Don't do it. Or a doctor. And my dad told me, he said, um, you can um, teach as a doctor, but you can't practice medicine as a teacher. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of stuck with me because I really love teaching. Like, I love teaching. I've taught medical students. I've taught um, nurse practitioner students. But what I get the most joy out of is teaching my patients. Um, It's just teaching them about their health, teaching them about why they need to do the things that they're doing. I find that, like, a lot of physicians and just providers and healthcare providers in general, they tend to tell patients, this is what you need to do. Um, but they don't explain the how, they don't explain the why. And so people tend to be non-compliant when they don't understand why they need to do something. They don't understand what's going to happen if they don't do it. Why am I going to do it? And so I feel like teaching them about their health, teaching them about why we want them to do the things that we can do, teaching them what their options are, because just because I tell you to do something, there are other options, you know, it's your body, you make those decisions. Um, I just find that people, they tend to be more compliant and there tend to be better outcomes. What do you think, uh, part of the reason why people don't act on the options and advice that you know doctors and physicians give them is because it's so much information and you know they're not uh embedded in that world you know some of those terms seem so big and over their head do you think that plays a a part into it a huge part um 
a lot of times I think when people get to a certain level, whether it's in medicine or whatever it may be, you start to talk over people's heads. So I think sometimes you have to um, realize who your audience is, realize who you're speaking with, whether you're a teacher and you're talking to kindergartners or you're a physician and you're talking to your patient, being able to talk in terms that they understand um, and that they can relate to. I think it's important. Absolutely. So take us, take us down your journey. Take, take us from, tell us about your journey from, you know, wherever you want to start up to now. How did you get there? So as I mentioned, like I said, I, I wanted to be a doctor for a long time um, and I wanted to be a teacher. Once my dad said that to me about being able to teach as a physician, that kind of stuck with me. And then I think from there, my focus or my goal um, on becoming a doctor, every, like everything in my trajectory and path just went that way. So in high school, I was um, in a program called Explorers. Um, it was actually with Florida Hospital here. They have different um, paths where you can do, you know, you can work with police officers or you can do, and I chose to do the one um, at the hospital. So I would shadow in the hospital. Um, and I got to see um, what it was like, um, you know, in the hospital, what that was like, and it excited me. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I ended up going to undergrad at Hampton um, University. And at Hampton, I um, was, again, I was a biology major, so I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into medicine. Um, but I won't say that my path didn't get sidelined at times. Um, after college, I went to medical school. Medical school was pretty straightforward, as you mentioned, University of North Carolina is where I went. I would say in residency, though, residency was not fun. Um, I was the only Black in my um, my class, which is actually a pretty large, I went to a large residency program. And I remember my first year, I would drive to the hospital crying, like in tears, because I did not want to go. Um, and I actually applied for a job at the CDC because I was trying to see what job, what could you do with a medical degree besides practice medicine? Because I didn't, I didn't want to do it. And I didn't get a call back or an interview from the CDC. And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me was not getting a call back or not getting that mm. job because I wouldn't be here today. Um, and I wouldn't be doing what I love doing. I love like working with my patients and I wouldn't be doing that now. Um, and I remember my aunt, um, she lived in Houston, which is where I went to residency at the time. And she took me aside and had a conversation with me. It was like, you know, you just need to stick it through. You need to do this. And I think sometimes people get put in our paths to tell us things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was that she probably doesn't even remember having that conversation with me. She took me to a restaurant. We sat out in the parking lot and we talked. But she and she probably didn't even realize I was driving to work crying every day at the time because I didn't want to do it anymore. But that after that conversation, I just was like, you know what? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna prove people wrong. I ended up having a countdown on my phone for how many days I had left of residency, and mm. it started off at 1,200 and something days. And, I, and whenever I got frustrated, I would look at it and I'd be like, okay, last time it was 1,200, and this time it's a thousand. You know what? 200 days passed without you realizing. And I would just tick off the days. Yeah, you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. What was so hard about it? I'm assuming, I know it's a lot of hours and a lot of work. Yeah, um, so it is a lot of hours. Um, you work, they have rules now, and I put that in quotes, where you can't work more than um, 88 hours a week. But that's still a lot. <laughs> um, so, and you would get up to that sometimes. So we may work 80, 88 hours a week. Um, but not all the time. But I think one of the things that was happening to me was 
And I won't say it was because I was the only black in my class, but you can make your own assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, whenever someone was out, um, if it was on a more difficult rotation, I would get pulled because you have rotations that are more difficult and rotations that are easier. So an easy rotation might be one where you work nine to five. A more difficult rotation might be one where you come in at 5 a.m. and you're not going home till 7 p.m. Um, and then you're back up, you know, the next morning doing the same thing. And so I would get pulled a lot of times from my more easy rotations and put on these more difficult ones. But I think my mindset had to change and I had to realize. So at the end of my intern year, I had done labor and delivery four times, um, usually four months of labor and delivery, which is a harder rotation. Usually in your entire four years of residency, you do labor and delivery four months. And I did it in my first year, four months. And so mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? This is just going to make me a better physician. I'm getting more experience than all these other, they're thinking they're breaking me down, but they're really just making me stronger because they're giving me more experience. I'm mm -hmm. seeing more things than anybody else is going to see. I'm doing more procedures than anybody else is going to do. And it's going to make me better at the end of the day. But I had to kind of change my mindset or the way I was thinking about it. Perception. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Did you have like a mentor um, that you could go to while you were in the process? I did. So um, Dr. Greeley, who probably doesn't even realize um, that she was like really instrumental for me. She was a... Um, one of our attendings, um, she was a black attending. And I remember I was doing a delivery one day, a vaginal delivery, and she came up to me while I was in the middle of doing it. And she was like, how are things going? And just her saying that, like, I knew that she knew what I was going through and that like, she was there for me from that point on. Like she used to take us out to eat, like talk with us. And she actually told me when she left residency, she started her own practice. And she was telling me how, you know, she enjoyed the autonomy of that and how she, you know, that was a big, she did it um, in New Orleans and after Hurricane Katrina, she ended up moving and things changed, her path changed. But I think it's important for you to be able to see sometimes that somebody else did something so I can do it too. And it's even easier if somebody, that person looks like you. Right, right, the blueprint. I mean, every mm -hmm. house is built exactly. based, based on a blueprint. Exactly. All right, so catch us up from residency to now. So after I finished residency, um, I actually moved to a small town um, here in Florida, um, Leesburg, mm. uh, real small town. <laughs> yeah, over there and, by Groveland. Uh, what'd you say? Up there and there towards Groveland? Yep. Well, it's out, yeah. Yeah, out um, Lake County. So I started, um, I started, I joined an OBGYN practice there. And I actually, I love the, the practice. It was great. The doctors that I worked with were great, but I'm young. At the time, I was single. I like to think of myself as being young, at least. Um, I was single at the time. And so I was like, I, I couldn't live in Leesburg. Um, and so I wanted to get back to Orlando, um, kind of closer to where I grew up, and be able to impact patients that I felt like looked more like me. Um, and so I ended up moving um, to Orlando. I ended up joining a practice. Um, out of uh, Altamont Springs and Lake Mary area. Um, and so in Altamont, I, my primary office was Altamont. Um, and so I worked there for five and a half years. Mm. And then I ended up branching off on my own and starting my own practice, um, which opened up recently. It was so funny because on um, Facebook, 
I kept seeing you posting like T minus two days, something, something. And I said, oh, man, the team must be popping out another one or something. Had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I then, thought the same thing. Yeah. And then I see, I saw the, the building and I was like, oh, that's what it was. <laughs> it was my baby. Just yeah. Not I, was <laughs> I felt like she kind of let the cat out of the bag. If it was a baby, she was like, you know, I'm expecting. I'm like, well, it's yeah. not a surprise if you're telling us you were expecting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I thought it was. And then, I mean, it literally took me seeing the pictures to realize, oh, that was the that's move. <laughs> that's awesome. So was getting your own practice always the plan or when did it hit you that you said, I'm making this decision? So I wanted to have more autonomy um, and have more control over how I practice medicine and kind of my own destiny um, for a long time. And I actually um, joined, I mentioned the practice that I joined with and I worked there for um, five and a half years. And I was hoping um, that I could actually get partnership and um, the men, the gentlemen who were um, in that practice are older. And so, you know, as they kind of transitioned out, I would transition in. Um, partnership there didn't seem um, like it was gonna be the right opportunity. Um, and so from there, I actually had a meeting with them and we talked about it and it didn't seem like it was going to work out that way. And so from there, I was like, you know what, I'm going to make it happen regardless. And so that, that meeting, which was probably two years ago was when I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it on my own. If they don't want me to do it in their path, I'll do it. I'll make my own path. Mm. You know, and that's important to, to point out is that, you know, we encounter obstacles or we encounter uh, different people, their ideas and limitations on our own dreams. And you're faced with a decision that either you're going to continue on your own and find a way to create it, or you're going to stay where you are based on what other people told you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you don't mind me asking, what was that process like? Because in spirit, that... um idea of I'm going to start my own is probably very scary, but very entrepreneurial in a sense. So what was that process of, listen, okay, y'all are not going to give me the opportunity. I'm going to build my own door. What did that process look like for you? So it was a lot of planning. Okay. Um, when I say that two years ago, I kind of thought this is what I'm going to do. I've literally been planning since then. So you mean um, two years ago, you didn't say you was going to do it and the next day it opened and it was there? That would have been nice. <laughs> no, I mean, it took a lot of planning. And for me, there was planning because I wanted to have a smooth transition. Um, I have a child now, so I really couldn't. I mean, he has to be supported. I can't be out here not, you know, making money, which there's going to be a period where I'm not bringing in, you know, what I was bringing in before. But I had to save. And so I was saving. So that was planning. Um, there was even just the physical planning of getting the permits and getting the insurance panels and um, getting, you know, finding a location and kind of doing the research on where was I going to open. Um, so there was a lot of planning that went into it, um, kind of leading up to it. Um, and that's what I was kind of talking about at the beginning, that it felt like things were coming from every kind of direction. Something was always coming. Um, but after the planning, just came, you know, time to act on it. And so kind of taking that plan that I had put together and turning it into actions. And so kind of just following what you mentioned, the blueprint, actually mm -hmm. following out and doing it. 
Now, you mentioned this a couple of times. You said, I wanted to help people who look more like me. I can guess at why that matters, but in your own words, why? So, so female physicians make up a very small percent of physicians in general. And Black female physician, physicians, excuse me, make up, I think it's like 2% of the population of physicians. Mm. Um, and I think that when you see someone that you can relate to, whether it be you can relate to them because of how they look, because of how they talk, because of where they live, what music they listen to, whatever it may be. When you're able to relate to somebody, I think that you um, you share more with them. Um, and as a doctor-patient relationship, the more my patient shares with me, the more I learn about them, the better I'm able to treat them. And so I would see that Black patients, um, and in my field, Black female patients, we don't get the same care um, that other uh patients get. And I mean, it's just flat out true. People spend less time um, with Black patients. People um, make assumptions about Black patients. They actually had a study that was done, and it was done on physicians in training, so like resident physicians. And it was half of them thought that, or had false beliefs about Black patients. So they thought that Black people experience pain differently, that we don't experience pain the same way white patients do. So they're not prescribing us pain medicine when we're in pain or they have false beliefs that um, our body processes things differently. Um, and so knowing that there's biases coming from the physician and this is building mistrust in the patients, I wanted to be able to provide my patients with better care in general, better care in that they can relate to me, better care that, I mean, we all have biases, but mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm aware of what biases I may have and that I'm dealing with those so that I can interact with my patients better. I just read an article that talked about how society uh, views, uh, especially black girls, they talk about black girls and the adultification uh, that exists and that how, like you were just talking about that, you know, we grow up, we're more mature, we're more self-sufficient or black women are more self-sufficient um, earlier on. And so they don't get the same leeway and uh, grace as other races do. Um, I literally just read that this week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, and it, it comes from all parts of society. It comes from, you know, what we see on television. It comes from what's going on in schools. It comes from, you know, when you're walking down the street, how you're perceived. But unfortunately, as Black people and as Black women, um, we are perceived differently a lot of times, which leads to differences in how we're educated and how we're cared for medically. Um, and I mean, it's, a, it's not a problem that we're gonna easily overcome because it's systemic racism. I mean, it's a systemic problem. Um, but I wanted to do my part to try to make a difference, um, you know, where I can and how I can. Yeah. Now you're big on educating your patients and educating people. And you are one of the few Americans who have taken the vaccine. Let me chime in. Here. I have. Um, yes. And that process, and I will tell you, I am you are the reason I took the vaccine because I had no intentions on taking it. I yeah, I would have a joke that, you know, y'all guys are not gonna turn me into an inanimate object. 
And I saw you on on Facebook again, Facebook. And I said, okay, I, I instant messaged you. And I said, all right, tell me about this. Why are you taking it? What are you doing? Why? And um, you didn't say this. This was my interpretation of the conversation. So Dr. Carrington did not say this. But my interpretation on the conversation was in, a, in, in some ways, maybe the powers of B is counting on us not taking the vaccine because of the mistrust of uh, our medical system. So it might be in my best interest to, to get it because I know that when white people catch a cold, black people catch pneumonia. So I need to go ahead and put myself in the hat and take this vaccine. And at the time, I didn't know within a week I was going to be able to get the vaccine. I was like, I was thinking I had like four or five months, you know what I'm saying? But then it, 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 it popped up and I took it. I just finished taking my second dose. And so far I feel, I feel good. Um, but it was your education that pushed me to the point. So it just, Talk to somebody. Tell them some of the things you told me that could um, help them. And why did you go ahead and take it? So for me, it was an easy decision. Um, I don't think it's necessarily an easy decision for everybody. Um, but when I take a look at the number of people in our community, when I say our community and the Black community who are getting COVID, but not, not only getting COVID, but dying from COVID, um, we make up 10% of the U.S. population, but we make up over 20% of the deaths from COVID. Mm. I mean, that statistic, when you look at that, that it's ridiculous. Mm. If, you, if you speak proportionally, we should be making up 10% or, or less of the, exactly, of the deaths. But we're making up over 20%. And the reason for that is when you go back again to systemic racism, we have um, higher rates of hypertension, diabetes, and so all of these comorbidities, if you get COVID and you have obesity or diabetes or something like that, your chances from dying from COVID are far greater. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I say it was an easy decision, it was an easy decision because people are a lot of times concerned. And I hear people talking about, well, we don't know what the long-term effects of this vaccine are. Um, we don't know, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, a year from now, you know, what effects you're going to have. But I see the effects that are going on right now today from people getting COVID. And that's death being one of them. Um, and there's other long-term effects. There's people who have long-term heart disease, people who have long-term neurological diseases um, from COVID. And so even though we may not know all that there is to know about the vaccine, it is actually studied. People try to um, say that it's not studied. It was studied, the Pfizer vaccine alone, which is the one that I got, um, was studied in uh, over 44,000 people. Um, and of those 44,000 people, 10% of them were Black, which I think I did mention to you um, mm -hmm. when we were talking, that a lot of times because of the mistrust that we have in the medical community um, as a Black community, we don't sign up for studies. Yeah. So we don't sign up to you know do a vaccine study or a medication trial but they were able to get a decent proportion of Black people to be studied um, in this vaccine. And so we do have data to know that at least for the first couple of months, because these people were followed for a few months, um, that there weren't any long-term side effects from it. And mm -hmm. most vaccine side effects actually happen within the first 30 to 45 days of getting the vaccine. And so these people were studied for longer than that, and they were people that looked like me and you. 
Mm. And, and when I say they're banking on us not taking it, that that it may imply that you know sometimes some type of systemic thing is at play. But more so, we're just very skeptical of things, just I mean, like you said. Really we have reason. Yeah, and, and we have every right to be. You know, exactly. Go ahead. Do the mistrust, and there is some systemic play in it, though, because when you think about it, where a lot of the places, the vaccine locations where you can go and get the vaccines right now, they're not in our communities. I didn't go to Pine Hills or Paramore yeah. yeah. to get my vaccine. I got my vaccine in downtown Orlando, where you know, and actually an affluent area of downtown yeah. Orlando. Yeah. Um, so there is a systemic part in that as well, because mm-hmm. it means where are you mm-hmm. setting up these centers? You also, when you think about getting tested, um, a lot, there's drive-through testing. Well, if you don't have a car or if the, if the testing site is far from you or the vaccination site is far from you and you're already on the fence about whether I'm going to get it or not and you have yeah. transportation issues, well, it's, you know, I was already not sure if I was going to get it anyway, and now it's too far to drive. Or I have to find someone to take me there or, yeah, you know, in, there's a, lots of barriers. But that's a reality that everybody knows. And if you're putting something out like a vaccine to help the people because it is for the people, I would imagine that these people are smart enough to consider, all right, where are we going to put this to help everybody? But yet they choose to put it in the affluent neighborhood. When that's where I got already, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So although there may be some mistrust that shouldn't exist, there's still practices right now that suggest that, hey, I think I'm I'm pretty valid in my concerns because like me, I I do not plan to get it for 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 mainly this reason. Just I want to observe on my own how this is affecting people and continue to read studies and educate myself to the rate in which this came out how fast vaccine came out compared to other diseases and things that we are quote unquote researching, trying to find a vaccine for that we have not been able to for years. It's like, how were you able to put this out so fast, but you can't put together the money and research to do this. And then to your point that you made the study that you did with Pfizer, there was 40,000 people in my mind. What is, what is the common number of people we generally like to have in a study for us to consider the results valid because it's 40,000 a lot in the medical world or is that on the lower mm-hmm. end? So 44,000 is actually um, a, a pretty good number, um, especially for a vaccine um, trial that was done, like I said, in the amount of time that it was done in. Um, the other thing about it though, is that a lot of the research that went into developing this vaccine didn't all start the day that COVID came out. So the COVID vaccine like is actually based. Right? Sorry, say that again. It's been going on for like the research, and it has been happening for like ten years, correct? Exactly. So the the COVID vaccine is actually based off of um, research and studies that they've been doing for years, like Shane mentioned. And so they just further developed research and studies that they had already been doing to specify it for um, COVID. Um, yes, there are other, when you think about HIV, well, why don't we have a vaccine for HIV or something like that? Um, all of these viruses are very different though. So you have to start thinking about how fast do viruses change? Um, you know, there, you hear in the news right now about COVID, there's variants, 
there's very when any, anytime there's a virus, variants start to come, and so the virus starts to change and make itself look different. Um, and so the vaccine that you got is it going to fight against that? And so you have to think about that with HIV um, and other things like that. You know why they haven't been able to develop you know a vaccine. I think that's kind of what you were implying with these other diseases why they haven't developed vaccines for those. But you know the flu shot that we get every year, they have to change that vaccine every year to try to. Um, target what they anticipate the strain of the flu is going to be. I don't know, um, Vic, if you get your flu shot, typically. Um, and so my question for you, and I guess this isn't my turn to be asking questions necessarily, but my question for you would be, why are you okay with getting your flu shot every year, but not okay with the COVID shot? Yeah. And so my answer to that is, you talk about the amount of time that the study has been done. So prior to, prior to COVID, was not aware of studies going towards COVID research and, and a virus of this sort, whereas the flu has been around for how long, right? And so I have enough evidence historically to see the effects of the vaccine, the flu, the flu shot, as well as the long-term effects of it. So COVID actually is not new. COVID-19 is new. And so COVID is the same virus that causes the cold and all of these other things. It's just the type of um, COVID virus. COVID-19 is what is new. Um, SARS, um, which we've talked about, you know, years and years ago, these are all things that are very similar to COVID. And so when you do research and you're doing um, research into vaccines, a lot of times you don't need to start from scratch. You can build off of research that you've done on vaccines that look similar to the you know, the virus that you're dealing with currently, if that makes sense. It does. It does. You don't have to start over, right? You, yeah, we're you not starting. Some, yeah, you got some sort of reference. Okay, well, what about people who have pre-existing conditions? Because there is still, would you agree, there's still a lot uh, left to be determined about the effects, although, you know, we are observing, you know, the first 30 days or so and even longer. What about people who have pre-existing conditions? I would argue that they're an even greater um, group that should be getting the vaccine. Um, because if you have pre-existing conditions, we know that your chances, so I mentioned that, you know, 20% of the deaths being African-Americans um, who are dying, you know, dying from COVID. But we know that if you have pre-existing conditions, your chances from dying of dying from COVID are even greater. So you're dealing, you're, what you're comparing is you're comparing some hypothetical risk that we don't even know exists to a true risk that we know exists. So if you know for a fact that my risk, because I'm obese or because I have diabetes or whatever it may be, I know for a fact that my risk of dying from COVID is higher versus this hypothetical, theoretical, possible risk of something that I don't even know if it's true, I would argue that go with, with the facts, which you know. I know for a fact that I may, my chances from dying from COVID are higher. I would go with what I know to be fact versus possible theoretical. And, and that was the determining factor for me was um, I'm an asthmatic. Um, <laughs> I'm obese based on the numbers that they tell me. Um, and then I also, and I don't know if this is a thing, but I also have sleep apnea. So I don't know if that's a pre, you know, if that, but for me, it was like, well, I know that I have these three things going on at minimum. And 
if I if I was to get COVID, my chances, well, I mean, those things will play, can possibly play a role in me possibly getting it. And it was enough for me. I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to take that risk with um, knowing that I have these conditions, you know? And I mean, not- Oh, go ahead. In real life, Vic, n- none of these options, and, and as I say this, I'm not trying to convince you or any, but we're, we're dealing with a bag of no option is, is really ideal. I mean, we would uh, we would all love to see this uh, uh, some longevity on the research of this particular vaccine and thing. But it's like when you're weighing out the checks and the balances. And for me, it was about the best possible thing that I can do right now. You know, um, I just, you know, a, a colleague of mine just passed, had COVID in November but somehow got blood clots in their lungs, which is another effect of, that's not even a pre-existing thing to my, to my knowledge. It's just an effect of the COVID. And there's a lot of those that's just moving around that just really make um, not doing something for me personally very scary. And I think it's a, I mean, it's definitely a very personal, very individualized decision. But I think that the most important thing is that we're making our decisions based on facts um, not based on fear. And so I think a lot of times we, like we talked about the mistrust that, you know, we as a black community have in the medical system, it's very real. And it's very, I mean, it's rightfully so we have mistrust. I mean, from the time since, you know, we were brought here as slaves, there have been that being done on us without our consent up until the 50s, when you think about Henrietta Lacks, up until, you know, present day, where, like I said, you know, we're not getting the same time with the physician. So, of course, there's mistrust. But I think that we can't let, and I've said this before, we can't let the exploitations that others have done to us create our own um, self-inflicted injury. And so I think that as a community, by not getting the vaccine, that's self-inflicted injury. And yes, it may be based on mistrust or, um, you know, exploitations or things that have happened to us in the past and that are continuing to happen to us today. But again, I think we just have to make our decisions again based on facts um, and not fear. So can you recommend some resources for people to go educate themselves to help them to make this very personal decision? Absolutely. Um, the CDC has uh, great information about the vaccine. Um, whichever vaccine you're considering getting right now, Pfizer and Moderna are the two that are available, you can actually go online and get their um, research trials and read them. Um, I'm in, in a group of women who kind of were all either pharmacists, physicians, but we were all passing the information back and forth. Um, And when it first came out, honestly, there was some within that group that were skeptical. But I think as people started to read the data and read the information, we started to realize that, again, the risks outweigh, um, excuse me, the benefits outweigh the risks. And I think for any decision we make um, medically, but also in life, all we're doing is weighing risks and benefits. When you get in your car and you go for a drive, there's a risk you could get in a car accident. There's a risk you could get a flat tire. There's a risk, you know... You could get carjacked, but the chances of those things happening are far less than the chances of you making it to your destination, because if they weren't, you wouldn't take that drive to wherever you were going. And I think it's the same thing with getting the vaccine. Yes, there's risks. There's the risks of these theoretical things that we may not know happening in the future. But 
for me, the risk of some fatigue, um, I take that any day over the risk of death. I hear you. I hear you. Um, have you? And, and, uh, I, I hear you too. Did y'all know I live 15 minutes away from Tuskegee? I didn't. I live 15 minutes away from Tuskegee. And in a lot of ways, you can still feel that mispractice of the syphilis project, especially in times of this, times like these. So like when, 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 when we're talking about this, I, I, I feel you, bro. I feel you and I hear you about it. Um, so I just, you know, I just want to reassure you, although we've spent about five minutes in a sense trying to convince like that, that, that fear is, um, is there and it's, it's real, bro. I understand. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not the voice for all skeptics out there, but I had wrote down this question go, coming into today's conversation was, are the fears valid? You know, absolutely. my initial answer is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, go ahead, Shane. So was the skepticism. Like you think about in what other area of, of life for black people, have we been the priority of getting anything? So like, it seems like black people seem to be in, in from based on what, the media you hear in the press and the media they seem to be trying to rush us this vaccine to get it right it's like and don't take us. candy don't take candy from the man in the van right yeah. hey <laughs> black people come come get this free candy that i mean what you're saying is true but if you look at it black people actually aren't taking the vaccine though so i get that yeah i get that but you also we also have a community of people who don't even believe in any vaccinations right yeah. so we're always going to have people who are not vaccinated, right? It'd be one thing if we lived in a communist uh, society where it's mandated that every single body, you don't get the right of choice, but we don't. We live in America where we're too free and we have a poor history towards our community. And it's like, hey, you want some candy? You know what? <laughs> I messed over you in the past. Let me make up for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the reason behind that now is because we're the essential workers. The majority of our population needs to be out there doing the jobs that they need us to get done. So I personally think it's not anything other than, hey, we need to get this America back running. So that's why the push is on us to go get the vaccine, which is still kind of crappy. Aren't we, haven't we always been the essential workers? Hasn't the, the, this country been built <laughs> yeah. on our backs regard? Hey, we need to get that work, the workers back out there. Two bags of poop, bro. <laughs> As I say, either way. <laughs> you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I understand that there is factual information uh, and a lot more, a lot of cases that are, have been positive and positive reactions from it. I think it boils down to, like you said, Tia, it's a very personal decision that you have to make. But more importantly, educate yourself at least do your own research. And then if at the end of that, you decide to go one way or the other, you at least are informed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about getting the information and then making your own decision. And if you have that information, you can live with whatever decision you make. I mean, I would feel bad if there was people out here making decisions based on misinformation or fear. But if you're educated, you know the data and you determine that you want to get the vaccine, great. If you're educated, you're informed and you determine you don't want to get the vaccine, that's again, that's your own personal decision and that's fine as well. I just think that I don't want people making decisions based on fear and misinformation. Yeah. 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 And that's anything in life, you know, um, definitely inform yourself. 
uh, let's let's go back to your practice and starting this up um, at this stage right now. Do you feel like you're walking in your purpose? I finally do. Um, I told you, you know, I was driving to work crying. I um, sat in that meeting where my bosses lied to me um, and told me basically, it's a very long story, but lied, told me, you know, I, I, becoming a partner wasn't possible. Um, and I, all of those things happened though, so that I could get to this point where I am today. Because if those things wouldn't have happened in the past, I wouldn't be sitting here where I am today. And I feel like the impact that I will be able to have, not only on my patients, but on other young Black women, Black boys who want to get to where I am, I think that I'm going to be able to have a much bigger impact for them doing what I'm doing now than if I was working at, you know, when I wanted to go work at the CDC or when I was working for the, you know, the other gentleman I mentioned, I still would have been, even if I would have been a partner, I wouldn't have been the senior partner because they created that practice. So having something that I created, you know, that's mine and that I can practice how I want to practice, I can influence my community the way that I want to influence it. I think that, I think I am now living in my purpose. Awesome. What, what lessons learned in starting your own practice that you would offer up to someone who may be thinking about starting their own thing, whether it be a practice or anything else? I think the thing that made me, finally gave me that final push was I thought about, and I said, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I was like, the worst thing that's gonna happen is if it doesn't work, I go back to working for somebody else. And so I was like, you know what? I'm already living that. I'm already working for somebody else. I'm already, I'm already living the worst case scenario. And so I think that just take that leap, you know, the, if you're doing, if what you're doing just feels comfortable, you're probably not truly living your purpose because it's sometimes, you know, you have to get uncomfortable to get results. And so it wasn't the easiest road to get here, but I do think that it was gonna, it's gonna come out to be the most rewarding one. Um, but comfort isn't always rewarding, so. Right. What about um, a word of encouragement for young women who aren't sure if they wanna pursue this career field? What's your advice to them? I tell, so I have a lot of, um, students, whether they be in high school, that kind of thing that, you know, they want to shadow me or that I end up mentoring. And one of the things that people get concerned about or that they're afraid of with becoming a doctor is, oh, the amount of time that it takes. Oh, I'm going to be in school forever. And oh, you know, this, that, and the other. And I tell them, and somebody told me the same thing, that that time is going to pass regardless. So yes, you have to go to four years of medical school. Yes, you have to do four years of residency. But those four years, those eight years, whatever it may be, they're going to pass regardless. And at the end of that, those four years, those eight years, will you be able to say that you're doing what you ultimately wanted to do? Or are you going to be looking back at that time, you know, with regret? Let's and see. so the amount of time that people are concerned, you know, like it's going to take me a long time. The more important thing is what are you doing with that time? On the education front for someone to, you know, a young, young person right now to align themselves up with becoming a physician 
um, are their career or not career fields, excuse me, degrees, degree programs, what have you that you would recommend? So, I mean, obviously you need to go to college and undergrad. I think that one of the things, one of the misconceptions is that you need to major in biology or chemistry. Um, it's actually not true. In my class, there was English majors in my medical school class. There were anthropology. There was, you can major in whatever. And it's actually better if you major in whatever you're passionate about and whatever your interest may be for several reasons. One, you're going to do better. Um, two, it makes you a more interesting applicant, actually. So if you think about it, if everybody coming into medical school is majored in biology, we all look the same. But if you majored in socio sociology or music or whatever it may be, you're bringing something different. Hmm. Um, and then also for your patients later on, you're able to offer something different. Um, you can relate to them differently. You know, if you have a music degree compared to every other doctor who had, you know, studied biology their whole life. Um, so I think go after what you are passionate about. Um, and if you do want to do medical school, you can be an English major, you can be a music major. There's prerequisites. There are certain classes, you know, you would need to take as your electives to make sure that you're getting um, to that path. Um, but go after whatever your passion is. Um, whatever your passion is, go after it because the money, all of that will follow. I was thinking that it's not too late for me to become a doctor. But then it's definitely said, not. It's definitely <laughs> no not. prerequisites for the classes. <laughs> you just have to go take those prerequisites. <laughs> One of my, um, in my residency class, actually, we had a lady who, she had had a whole other career. She was making six figures as a um, executive for this company. And she decided she wanted to go back to med school. She went back and she was an OBGYN resident with me. Wow. Why did you... Uh, pick OBGYN path particularly? That's a good question. <laughs> so when I first started um, medical school, I thought that I wanted to do pediatric surgery. Why? I don't know. So don't even ask. I have no idea. It's just in my mind, I want to be a pediatric surgeon. Um, and then during medical school, you do rotation. So you know, you'll do a month of internal medicine. You'll do a month of... Um, cardiology, a month of OBGYN. And I, you can kind of set them up depending on what you think you want to do. And they kind of tell you the things that you don't think you're as interested in, put them at the very beginning because you're just kind of learning the ropes. The things that you also don't think you want to do, put them at the very end because it starts to become too late um, to be able to apply to residency and things like that. And so I didn't think I wanted to do OBGYN. So I put it at the end because I wasn't going to do an OBGYN. Um, and I did all of my other rotations. I, I like surgery. Um, so when I said pediatric surgeon, I kind of still thought maybe that was going to be the path. But when I did my OBGYN residence or rotation, I, um, I fell in love with it. I loved, um, you get a little bit of continuity of care because you're seeing these patients throughout their pregnancies. You're seeing patients, you know, from years when they're coming in for their well woman exams. But there's also you get that adrenaline rush when you're doing emergency C-sections and emergency surgeries. Um, and I get to be in the OR, um, you know, doing surgeries on women to save their lives sometimes. And so I, I just really, um, I don't know, I found my passion when I did that. And so that's why I ended up choosing that field. So in essence, you, you ended up in a field that you didn't expect to and also ended up doing surgery, which is what you wanted to do. Exactly, exactly. 
What other services does an OBGYN do that people may not know? So a lot of times people think we, you know, deliver babies, which we do. Um, but we also um, provide just general um, healthcare for women. So whether it's contraceptive care, preventative, um, like well woman exams, so pap smears, um, management of any GYN issue. So painful periods, heavy periods, ovarian cysts, ovarian masses, um, uterine fibroids. Um, and then also because we manage pregnancies, we deal with anything you can think of that comes along with women. Um, so when women are pregnant, there's depression sometimes for some women that we're dealing with. There's physical abuse um, that you know we deal with. Um, almost anything you can think of that affects a woman, we deal with it. Um, and so that's another reason why I liked it too, because of the variety. It wasn't like I was Same thing. just dealing with, for example, cardiology, nothing against cardiologists, but I wasn't just dealing with the heart. I was dealing with a wider spectrum of things um, with women. All right. So we try to ask all our guests kind of uh, where their inspiration comes from. For you, who are the top three people uh, that inspire you and why? So... I would say my parents um, probably are the first. And that's because they always wanted more for me and my brother. Um, my parents were both the first um, to graduate from college in their families, and they wanted more for us. And so seeing the sacrifices that they made so that we could have more, I think was inspiring for me because for them, I mean, they could have definitely gone further or kind of done more and I'm putting that in quotes um but they made sacrifices so that me and my brother could essentially have more um and so they would definitely be kind of lumped together as one um I think I'm also inspired it's more of a general category by all the black female physicians that came before me so I kind of mentioned Dr. Greeley um but I mean, there's Alexa Kennedy, she's kind of a bigger name, but there's all of these black female physicians that came before me. And so, for example, when I was in residency and I was kind of, you know, getting discouraged and I'm telling you, I'm crying, driving to work. When I think about it, I'm like, yes, this is hard, but they went through some things that were a lot harder than what you're going through. You know, you can do this. And so it's inspiring for me to know what they came through or went through, I mean, and what they were still able to, um, you know, do. And I would say the third, um, it would actually be, I guess this is two people too, but my, my grandmothers, because I mentioned that, so neither one of my grandmothers didn't graduate from high school. I mentioned my parents were the first to graduate from college, but my grandmothers didn't even graduate from high school. Um, they both had not necessarily the most support from, um, you know, the men, you know, in their lives, that type of thing. Um, but they raised my parents to who they were, which allowed me to become who I am. So I feel like I'm always like standing on the shoulders of those who came before me. And I, you know, I immediately think of my parents because they're the closest, but my parents are who they are because of their mothers. Mm. Um, and so, and my grandmothers, you know, the sacrifice they made was even greater than the sacrifice my parents made. Um, my grandmother, my, my mom's mom, 
she used to make, I think it was like $25 a week. And so she made $25 a week, but managed to raise three kids on her own. Um, and so when I think about that and that, you know, her grandchildren now, you know, yes, I'm a doctor, but she has a lawyer and um, a school principal as a grand, you know, like we're standing on her shoulders. If she didn't make those sacrifices, none of us would be, you know, where we are right now. So yeah, that's, my grandmother. That's dope. That's dope. So last question that I have for you is your goals now that you started to practice, because obviously getting the practice open was not the end goal. What are the goals now? My goals are to make a positive impact on women's health care. Um, the motto or for my practice is to provide um, compassionate, clear, and comprehensive health care for women. And so I really want, I want that to be the focus. I want us to be able to provide women with compassion because when people are sick, when they're coming to you as a physician, they're in need, whether they need you to help guide them through their pregnancy or whether they need you to help them with a medic, you know, some medical problem. But a lot of times people don't feel like they get compassion. Um, and so being able to provide people with that compassion, when I say clear, being able, I mentioned educating, but being able to let them understand the why, the how, you know, we're doing what we're doing so that the um, options that we're giving them are clear and then comprehensive being able to treat the entire woman. So just because somebody's coming in because they're having heavy periods, how are those heavy periods really affecting them? You know, are they not able to go to work now? Are they not able to care for their children? Um, and so kind of providing comprehensive care where we're thinking about not just that one issue that the woman is coming in for, but how that is affecting them, you know, their overall lives. And so I really hope that, I really hope that my practice, um, Radiance Women's Center, that it can have a positive impact on women. And I've, I've seen from the practices I worked at before, a lot of times things come down to, you know, what's going to make us money. And like I said before, I think that the money will follow. But for me, it's about being able to treat women the way that they deserve to be treated. Um, and minority women, especially, but women in general, just the way that they deserve to be treated and the way that they need to be treated. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, we have, obviously, our connections are Central Florida. So uh, some of our listeners who may be looking to find you, your practice, can you share? Shameless plug. How can people find Absolutely. you? Absolutely. <laughs> so um, they can call our practice if they're um, looking to make an appointment. The phone number is 407-743-2100. Or um, we can be found online. The web address is www.radiancecenterobgyn.com. So... I would love to take care of them. Um, if someone's looking for an OBGYN or um, a woman's healthcare provider, um, like I said, the goal is just to be able to provide women with compassionate, clear, and comprehensive healthcare. And so I'm hoping that we can do that in our community. Awesome. Shane, you got anything before we close out? Uh, super proud of you, Tia. That's all. Yeah, for Thank sure. You. I'm really, honestly, I really am proud of you guys. And Shane, your little boy is adorable. Thank you. <laughs> adorable <laughs> thank you thank you appreciate that well look let's let's close out so quote that i found i think does fit uh, especially when you talked about your journey in getting into your residency uh it says never downgrade your dream to match your reality instead upgrade your hustle to match your destiny 
I think that is so fitting for all of our people out there. Understand that adversity is meant to shape and groom you for your destiny and what you're going to become down the road. So stick to it. And as always, we appreciate you rocking with us. Like, subscribe, share the show. Live life on purpose. We out. Your choice.